Let's Talk Native is produced at the LTN Studios on the Cattaraugus territory of the Seneca Nation. We break all the rules for Native media by peeling back the layers of assimilation and indoctrination. We may step on a few toes through our examination of culture, art, politics, history, and identity. But the real goal here is to bring our people together by breaking down what separates us. So, welcome to Let's Talk Native with John Kane. There you go, and welcome to Let's Talk Native. I'm John Kane. I'm your host. I need to talk about how language is misinterpreted because language is so much tied to things, not just labels, but to metaphors. And from a native standpoint, much of the use of metaphors that we've engaged in has been so misinterpreted by, especially by Europeans going right back to, to contact. And that's why we end up with these expressions when people say, well, native people believed, and then they'll go on, you know, that the moon was their grandmother or that, you know, um, they believed in gods of the, all these other things. And what it leads me to is this understanding the difference between personification of, of an issue or an event or an, an, an abstract, um, what they call uh, anthropomorphic. Yeah, I knew I was going to mess this one up. <laughs> Anthropomorphism. And what this is, is the idea of seeing like a, an animal, for instance, and trying to not only recognize, but to interpret some of their behavior as, as human. And of course, then there's deification. So let me kind of break this down. Now, when we talk about personification, many cultures, I mean, almost all cultures do a certain amount of this. I mean, it even gets into sometimes... Um, the use of gender using calling a, a hurricane by, by she or he or a ship, you know, or, or whatever. I mean, we, we, that's not just about gender. That's about the human gender notion. So, so that's a certain amount of this personification. Frankly, religion has its foundation in this idea of personifying and then ultimately deifying, um, some of the things that are unknown, the power of creation. I mean, whether you're talking about Greek gods or Roman gods or, you know, Christian Buddha, uh, Buddhism or, or Judaism, whatever, you know, uh, uh, um, Muslim faith, this idea of, of gods are oftentimes this idea first of trying to humanize or personifying a power. And then, you know, so this idea of that they are gods these are gods that men look like or look like gods or, or, or gods look like men or whatever. So there's, this is common, but the difference is when you create this, this idea of not just racism, but this, this, uh, the idea that some human beings will look at other human beings as, uh, as less than them, you know, so they would literally dehumanize. So even as we're talking about personification or uh, anthropomorphism or deification, there's also dehumanization, which is what black people experienced at the hands of Europeans. It's what native people experienced at the hands of, uh, of Europeans. So when they would hear our explanations of 
what they would interpret as a spirituality, they could consider it primitive. And they would just say, well, yeah, these, these people just believe these absurd things, right? Never even looking at what their belief systems, how absurd they could appear to somebody <laughs> from a different culture. But this idea of personifying, um, again, whether, you know, in our, in our culture, when we talk about the four winds being our grandfathers, we aren't literally saying that they're our grandfathers. And this is where a lot of this interpretation is, it is somewhat race-based and, and, it's, and it's racist. Because from a native standpoint, our use of metaphors, personification, or even this anthropomorphism is not based on believing the, the humanizing of elements or animals or, or, or whatever. It's about understanding our relationship to these things and not a spiritual relationship. This is the, we get into this whole conversation about religion versus spirituality. When we use these expressions, they're, they're really born out of our, our emotional connection to things like the seasons or the winds or the weather or the animals or, or, or all of these things. When we, when we suggest that we learn from the animals and we may say that the, that, you know, the certain parts of nature, that nature is, is our teacher. And that sounds, again, that's, that's a certain, to a certain level, that's, that's personifying nature. What it means is that we learn from nature. It doesn't mean that, you know, literally, that, that, that nature is standing up in front of a classroom teaching us. But you see, the way this thing gets interpreted, especially by Europeans, was that we had these backwards belief systems. And, and, and I suspect any culture that they did not consider as sophisticated as themselves, they would be dismissive of this idea. Now, of course, in, in this world we live in now with a lot of new agers and, and and environmentalists and, and a lot of people who have become not just friends and allies, but people who are taking a closer look. There are some people are beginning to understand that there was, there was misinterpretation, but in the meantime, we get caught up in our own misinterpretations because we're, we are told that in order to be native, we have to believe these certain things. And, you know, and I've heard it tied to not only, well, the various native cultures, but certainly even to, to, to things like ceremonies or in, in the case of uh, we, the Haudenosaunee, the Code of Handsome Lake, Garigio, as opposed to um, Gallinaragoa, the, what, the, 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 essentially our, our unwritten constitution, if you will, or our, the foundation of how we uh, resolve conflict. There there's, ends up being confusion. In fact, we, we interpret what is called ceremony as these spiritual events rather than the teachable moments that we have constructed, not a creator, but that we have constructed to remind ourselves and, and, and to those around us, our relationships. And we aren't reminding the animals that we're related to them. We're, we're suggesting that we need to understand our relationship to, uh, to, to all that's around. When we do the Ohund Gurdivadekwa or the, uh, the Gununyog. We, we go through all that stuff to remind the people who are listening. It's not a prayer. It's not a prayer to, you know, to, to some you know, spiritual being. It's a reminder to the people who have gathered to say, look, we need to understand our relationships to the, to the ground, our mother. And, and, when, and when we refer to the earth as our mother, 
there are obviously are, it's a metaphor. It's it's a personification of you know, this life sustaining planet that we're that we live on. But but again, if another culture is seeing us, you know, represent that in, in a way that they can't appreciate the sophistication of, of our use of metaphors, then they'll automatically say, oh, they, yeah, they believe that the, that the ground is their mother. And, 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 and they'll belittle that, that, uh, that notion. Even as they use expressions like mother nature <laughs> or the motherland, even as they will use those same, same kinds of expressions in that same kind of personification, they will belittle us as an, as an inferior being with, with these primitive belief systems. And I always argue that, that our belief systems are not really just these, you know, spiritual, ceremonial, ritualistic beliefs. Many of them, most of it, is, is tied to understanding the relationship. So even when we, one of the last things that we talk about when we do the Ohundagiri with Ekwa, we talk about the stars being our most distant relatives. Now, is there a relationship between human beings on Earth and, and the cosmos, absolutely, there's a relationship. Now, what that relationship is, people have different ways of interpreting that. And, and obviously, many cultures have used the, the stars and the planets to mark time and to understand direction and to navigate, but also as, as a source of wonder and, and inspiration. Now, we could say that those things inspire us or, or our distant relatives inspire us, or we could say that we are inspired by... The, our, our lack of understanding of, of time and space and all of that stuff. So, I mean, part of what I wanted to explain is there is a difference between personification and this, what they say, anthropomorphism. And, and, and don't try to say that word too fast too many times. It is really, really tough. I had to practice it and I still screwed it up a few times here. But the, the idea of, of a man projecting humanness on animals so you know look at a dolphin and you say oh it's smiling well it's not really smiling and, and or we we look at the relationship that we have with, not just with domestic animals but 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 you know animals in in the world i mean so we will look at at a bird or an eagle let's say let's say with and we will um interpret some of what we project characteristics on that eagle because we see it as this this noble creature where <laughs> where a buzzard or a you know or, or a vulture we would uh we would project different characteristics on even though they're they're related and because of that and i'm not just saying this from a native standpoint i think all cultures do some of this we create you know boogeymen out of certain animals we uh project certain um character flaws or, or 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 noble characteristics on certain animals and it ends up framing how we, we use how we use those animals in uh in our stories in our um in our lessons i guess but to, to suggest that another culture views these things in the way that they you know um somehow in this primitive way i mean think think about you know, Genesis and, and the Adam and Eve story and, and the snake and the apple and, and, and all of that. I mean, there's a lot of projection there. And of course, nobody, you know, in, in a lot of these countries that, that want to claim to be Christian nations, they aren't going to reject those stories because they have been, become part of who they are. 
But when you offer a, a, a different interpretation that may have the same or even similar personifications or, um, or, or, or projections of humanness on, on, on nature or some of nature's creatures, that can still be interpreted as, uh, as, as primitive. And, and I think the reason I bring some of this stuff up is because, as I was saying, we get caught up in, um, in not our own interpretations, but how our interpretations of relationships have been interpreted by others. So when, when we hear, you know, and I've seen it taught in school, oh, the, the Haudenosaunee believed that the, the moon was their grandmother. <clears throat> no, you totally missed the whole the whole purpose of using grandmother as a metaphor for the relationship between, uh, between us and the moon. It, it all gets missed because, well, they'll simplify it. I mean, it's the same thing that, you know, that, that you know, Christians would have done to, to other, uh, other, other religions, other belief systems, other cultures. I mean, even as you know, people look back at the Greek gods or the Roman gods, I mean, there's some that'll say, well, you know, they, they never really believed that stuff. Well, I don't know what they believed. I mean, who, who am I to interpret what, what an ancient Roman or an ancient Greek, uh, uh, what they believed in? Now, we do know they created these storylines that went along with this stuff, and they did personify things like God of War, God of Thunder, whatever. I mean, all of these, these um, uh, deifications, first you, personifications and then deifications of certain elements of nature. Not unlike we would have done, but, but somewhat different. Some characteristics that are different, but not necessarily the godlike, but more like, no, that's the relationship. See, the difference that we did is we didn't project a God uh, that we aspired to be. We talked about our relationships. And, and, and again, not the spiritual connection, but the emotional connection that we would have to, to things that, that, you know, were seasonal uh, or, um, other, you know, whether it was animals that we consumed or animals that we observed that we used to teach our young different stories, we, we put a value on that and we put an emotional value to that relationship and not one that, that placed us above them and see that that's again, part of, part of the difference in many of the of the European cultures, the European cultures in particular, they interpreted the entire world around them, that everything revolved around what, who they were and that they were the superior beings that everything. I mean, I, I was listening to, to a show on television last night and they described, you know, the world existing in, in a harm in harmony, right? The, the harm, harmonious nature of, of, uh, of the world. And, when it was brought up, yeah, but harmony implies that there's that, that there's more than one voice. And the response was, yeah, but one voice is dominant. And so it was this idea of advancing a dominant culture that the rest of every, that all the other voices have to fit in within some, some sort of subservient harmony to, to a dominant voice. But see, that wasn't, that wasn't necessarily the way a people who were more connected to nature, who had not made that leap in this idea of using our own understanding of relationships to describe our relationships with nature 
to saying that we have a belief system that is superior to all others and that we have a God that is superior to all others. The God of gods is it, uh, you know, as, you know, as, as Christians would advance or, or some of the other religions would advance. So because of that, we didn't get stuck into the, into the superiority inferiority dynamic that, that, that came from, uh, from Europe. But again, I want to remind people because as we look at how we now teach and interpret and understand some of the, the stories, even, even the ceremonies, which are really festivals, but much of our own culture, we are not, we're not understanding the culture based on where it comes from, but how it's been interpreted and how it's been written down by others. So, so I think it's really important that we, that we, we, we take a pause and that we do not, that we question even the folks who, who want to teach us you know, one of my, my friend Dagarundige always says, you know, you need to question everything, even the things that I teach, because it's through your questions that, you, that I'll either have the answers that will satisfy the question, or you'll realize that, that there's still much in, that is unknown. You know, part of the thing that I have talked about this before, we had an expression that would loosely translate to the great mystery. And when we explain this and, and, and talk about the great mystery, we didn't, it wasn't mystery in the sense that we understand it today in a as a story that says, okay, this is a mystery to be solved. It was an acknowledgement that there's, that there's only so much that, we're, that we are either capable of understanding or the full foundation of, of, a, of a subject will, will ever present itself. So we're not going to know everything. We're not going to understand everything. And, and certainly we can't understand things that go so far back into our, into our past or to the, the history of the world or the universe or whatever. We have no way of knowing some of these things. And then, of course, science, you know, as advanced by many cultures, uh, endeavors to understand the past. They want to understand, you know, Big Bang and the origins of the universe and origins of man. And, and I think to the extent that there's evidence to be, to be viewed, it's great to... to to, to build some of that foundation and try to interpret some of that. But understanding that as we look beyond our own field of reference, we have to fill in a bunch of blanks. And this is, this is where some of the belief systems be, become actually toxic because we become so convinced in how we filled in these blanks that we make judgments, not just about, whose belief system is better, but about the people who actually have those beliefs. And again, this contributes back to, uh, back to this idea of, of, of hierarchy, of, of human beings, of, of humanness, of civilization. And like I said, we too get caught in, into this stuff. So, I mean, I've heard people say that when they question, you know, well, what does this mean? And they say, well, if you understood the language, you'd understand it. Well, wait a minute, that, that, that's not a good answer. We, we should be able to question in any form of communication. We, we should be able to not only ask the question, but we should be able to get an answer. Uh, unless the answer is there is no answer. I mean, because this is the other thing about what, what human beings do is we have culture and we have history, but we also have a habit. 
We have things that we do, and we, and we, and we throw the word traditional sometimes at, at something. Well, the, the traditional way of preparing something is this way. Okay, but why is that traditional way? Is it because we were limited with, with uh, you know, how we cooked the food or what was available for foodstuffs or, or even, you know, how we, you know, how we could cook or heat or roast or whatever? So when I hear people say there's a traditional way, and there's nothing wrong with, with utilizing those traditional ways of, you know, growing food, preparing food, gathering food. But understand that what we call tradition may not necessarily be culturally based, but, but just based on the necessities or, or, or what was available at the, at the time. And, and, there, and while there's value in that, I mean, I, I go back to the story that my old friend Neville Spring used to t uh, talk about. He said he used to tell the story of his, um, the, the, the female line of his family, his uh, sister asking his, his mother, you know, why do you cut the, um, um, why do you cut the roast in, into two pieces and cook them separately on the stove? And she says, well, that's how my mother did it. And so she asks her grandmother and her grandmother says, well, that's the way my mother did it. And so she had the good fortune of having her great-grandmother who was still alive. And so she asked her great-grandmother, why did you then? She was because I didn't have a pan big enough to cook the roast. Uh, uh, one roast. The roast was bigger than the pans that I had. So you end up having this, this tradition that gets handed down that defies the reason behind how something was done originally. And so there's a difference between what is tradition and what is practice or what is habit. And, and, and I think it's worth knowing the difference. There's nothing wrong with cooking a roast in two pans. But if you've got a pan big enough to cook it all at once, then you cook it all at once. But see, and this was, and, and, I, and I always love that story because it was Neville's way of trying to put tradition and that use of that word into perspective. And, and I think when I, when I look at how Native um, culture, and, and I don't mean just Native people, but, but many people who have been oppressed by uh, European, especially through colonization, the way other people were put down for their, for, for their language, for their use of language, how they use language in terms of their use of metaphors, it oftentimes just got, got simplified to saying, well, they believe in these crazy, these crazy ideas. And now, when I hear the Ohundo Gurriwadekwa done, I don't hear any of this, uh, anything that's even remotely based on some absurd belief system. What I hear is an explanation of our relationship and a reminder to us to, that we should not only understand what those relationships are, but we should um, not just cherish, but... Um, Embrace the relationship that we have with all of with, with, with all of nature, and and look, there's it's one thing to have a healthy respect for much of the, the power of creation. So I mean, I, you know, look, I, I one of my grandsons was always terrified of thunderstorms, and there's there's good reason to be to be scared of of lightning and thunder. It's not only loud, but it's, uh, lightning is very powerful and it's dangerous. Uh, fierce weather is very dangerous, but it, but it also could be interpreted in, in a different way. And then we understand the value of, of what those storms and those weather systems do. 
our, our word for, for rain, which is not, when I say rain, it's a noun, but what, the word that we use to describe um, um, rain was yogonoru. It means we, we know that it's precious. Well, when you understand, you know, rainfall and, and, and the idea of precipitation as something precious, it doesn't take on the, the same negative consequence uh, that, that a storm or a fierce storm. And we, we celebrate in uh, this time of year, um, the first time we start hearing the rumbling of thunder and, and we see lightning. Because we know that this, this is the, the onset of, of the growing season. So we don't necessarily look at those things with, with the dread that perhaps other cultures did. And, and of course, depending on where you live, how you interact with, with weather, you know, or, you know, rainfall or the lack of rainfall, is, is, it's different. You know, and, and cultures are going to treat it differently. But I think it's important to understand that it, to be a native person and to embrace some of that culture that comes you know, to us from, from the millions of you know, feet that walked upon our, you know, this earth before us, we don't have to take a leap of faith. We don't have to believe in some religious or spiritual understanding of, um, of our being. We just have to understand relationships and nurture and embrace and build upon those relationships. I mean, I, I got to believe that there, there are plenty of people that lay out in a, in a, on a summer night and, and gaze up at the stars. But there's probably many people who don't. I mean, there are probably people who've, who've never you know, seen a, a shooting star or a meteorite in, in their lives. I mean, I, w I remember somebody telling me one time they got stung by a bee, and they said they'd never, they'd never been stung before. I'm thinking, you're 40 years old, and you never got stung by a bee? Now, being stung by a bee isn't something that you, you embrace as a, you know, <laughs> a fulfillment of, uh, of, of a, a bucket list, I guess. But there's so much that we, uh, that we need to experience. And part of that experience is, is about understanding the relationships. And the relationships are going to be different for each, each individual and how we view, you know, or how we interpret beauty, how we interpret humor. It can be different from person to person, but see, all of those things should be embraced. And, and it's not about worship, but it is about acknowledgement. And as a Dunyagahaga, as 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 Haudenosaunee, I come back to who I am based more on the relationship and how I interpret my relationship with others and not just other people, but, but, but creation that doesn't require somebody to have a, uh, you know, some sort of religious epiphany. It doesn't require that somebody take a leap of faith. It really requires that we embrace more, um, of our awareness of, of our surroundings. And when we do have the opportunity to learn about somebody else's culture or belief system, not judge it, but try to understand it. Because depending on, you know, and, and this may be true with other native people, not just other people. And, uh, I mean, you have to understand that the environment that we live in affects 
how we interpret those relationships and 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 including the relationships with various parts of nature we don't all ex experience the same the same creatures we don't all experience the same views of things i mean there's there are mountainous regions and and even those regions the difference between the mountains that we we see here in in the homelands of the Haudenosaunee versus uh you know the the, the mountains of, of the rockies and 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 other places in in the world it it's it's completely different and so when you when we hear about somebody else's culture we have to at least for the moment try to view and and try to see in our mind's eye through their lens not through our own. And this helps us to eliminate the, not just the judgment, but the idea of judging something as greater or lesser than, instead of just acknowledging the difference. So I think it's important that people realize that much of the interpretation that we now are even trying to get from not just our elders, but from what we read in a book or, or whatever is, is oftentimes coming from somebody else's interpretation rather than, than us taking the time to interpret our relationships ourselves. So that's what I want to talk about. This idea of using metaphors and language and not trying to take everything or anything so literal that we don't understand what was behind the original use of those metaphors or personification or anthropomorphism or whatever. So that's my message for, for this program. So I thank you for listening. Give us some thoughts and maybe we'll have a conversation one day. This is John Kane. This is Let's Talk Native. Yahweh.